I'm Pete Pedro Hoffmeister, and this is the Boring is a Swear Word podcast. My last novel, Too Shattered for Mending, came out in 2017, and there was going to be a long publishing gap. I struggled to write after my brain injury, but I have good news today. We have a publishing date for my new novel, American Afterlife, a thriller set to come out December 6th of 2022. But that's not what I'm here to talk to you about today. And in fact, I'm not here to talk to you about anything. I'm here to tell some good stories. So welcome to the Boring is a Swear Word podcast, a story episode. teach and co-direct the Integrated Outdoor Program at South Eugene High School with my teaching partner, Hira. And just a few years ago, we realized that the last school day of the year was going to be beautiful and sunny, 80 degrees and super warm. So we decided to bike down to the riverside, get on life jackets with all the students, and we'd swim down the wave train in the Willamette River and then cut across into the eddy and explore the river island in the city. It's beautiful there. It's one of those spots that if you were to find it in your travels to a foreign country, you would take a hundred pictures and talk about it for the rest of your life. But it happens to be right in town, in the middle of our town. So we biked down with our students. Everyone got life jackets on. Then we hiked up the river, swam down the rapids, cut across into the Big Eddy, on the island, swam across the deep into the shallows, and then explored the shallow pan right there under the bridge. There's crawdads you can catch there. You can look at different kinds of fish. There are little water drops, waterfalls. It's beautiful. And on the island, there are sand beaches and cottonwoods. There's blackberries, tons of wildflowers. It's a gorgeous location. But not only humans think that. Canadian geese think it's a beautiful location too. And they choose to nest there year-round. And in early June, at the end of our school year, it's after the nesting period when all the young goslings have hatched. But that also means that the nests are still up and the goslings that didn't hatch, the eggs that sat there and were finally abandoned when they never hatched, those are resting on the island too. And there are probably a few dozen goose nests all over the island. When my high school students were exploring, and they started to find some of these abandoned nests and some of these abandoned eggs that had now gone rotten, we had this student named Elena, and another student named Stu, who were curious, and they picked up these rotten eggs. I were like, goose eggs, look how big these are. And I said, don't break those open. It's a horrific smell. Well, Stu was the kind of student that if you told him that he shouldn't break something open because it's a horrific smell, he's the kind of student 
who's going to break it open because he's just too curious. Like, how bad is the smell? Is it really bad? So standing in the shallows with some flat rocks out in front of him, he tosses a rotten egg out, lands it on this big flat rock, and it breaks open. And it's not an egg and a yolk that come out. It's a kind of rotten dust. It goes And this dust clouds into the air and it smells horrendous. Even from 20, 30 feet away in the open air with an upriver wind, it's a terrible smell. Well, different students start carrying around these abandoned eggs that they're finding at different nests. And this girl, Elena, she takes an egg. She has a pretty good sense of humor. So she walks up behind Stu and she crushes it on him. And the smell is so terrible that Stu crumples to his knees and starts gagging in the shallow water. And Elena is laughing hysterically as she's also gagging and running away. And she comes towards me. And I'm like, don't come anywhere near me. I don't, I don't want any part of this. And that smell is on her hand. And she's ducking down in the shallows and trying to scrub the smell off her hand. Meanwhile, Stu is on his hands and knees like a dog retching. But there are more rotten eggs. Stu retches and scrubs himself. And then he gets up. And everyone's like, we don't want any part of this. And everyone separates from Stu. And everyone gets far away from Elena. And she's coming towards me. And I'm like, I'm not involved in this. And Stu gets another rotten goose egg. And he yells, I'm coming for you, Elena. And she realizes how serious he is. And she's running towards me. And I'm like, I'm not involved. I'm not involved. And I'm backing away. And Elena says, save me. You have to protect me. And I was like, no, I can't protect you from this. And Stu starts chasing Elena across the big 200-yard-wide flat shallow pan where the water's only a foot or a foot and a half deep. And Elena's running towards the deep water channel. And Stu's chasing after her. And he has this crazy look in his eye. And he has a huge rotten goose egg in his hand. And he's kind of sick from the smell. So he's sort of running and stumbling and gagging. And Elena's laughing and gagging and running away from him. And he's chasing her and chasing her. And the water gets a little deeper and a little deeper for her. So he's starting to catch up to her. And she's yelling, no, no. And Stu's like, oh, yes, I'm going to get you. And she gets into the deeper water, but still not deep enough to swim, still not to the channel. And she trips and falls in the shallow water. And Stu's about to catch her. And she finally gives up. And Stu catches up to her with that rotten goose egg. And he stands above her for a moment. And then he smashes it down into her long hair. And he scrubs it in with his hand. And immediately, they are cloaked in this cloud of horrendous stink. And Stu falls to his knees. And Elena's on her knees. And they're just retching and retching. And I'm... 20, 25 feet away, and it's so bad where I am that I cover my mouth, and I'm gagging a little bit, and I see them just 
trying to vomit, but there's nothing in their stomachs. And they're just on their hands and knees like dogs. And they dunk their heads and they dunk their hands and they scrub with everything that's on the bottom of the river in the shallow with this like goopy mud and sand. And I decide I have to help them. So I go over and I take up handfuls and hold my breath and try to scrub out their hair and scrub off their backs. And they're just dunking and dunking and dunking and they smell so, so bad. And eventually... The smell dissipates enough that they can stop retching, but not enough that anyone can really get near them. And just me helping them clean up, I smell horrible. And eventually everybody swims back down the channel and across to the shallow. And as we're biking back to school, nobody will bike near me. And certainly nobody will bike near Elena or Stu. And that... That was a memorable final day of school for the year. When I was a red shirt freshman wrestler at the University of Oregon, I was a backup at the weights 118 and 126, and I never knew if I'd wrestle or not. So one week in December, my coaches came to me and they said, we want you to weigh in for 118, but be the backup at 18 and 26 at the Tournament of Champions in Reno. I was like, definitely got this. They're like, how much do you weigh? So 137. And they're like, okay, well, you got a pound extra. So you got to make 119 in two days. So I went to work on water weight, put on my plastics, started biking in the sauna with the hoodie on. So we flew to Reno on New Year's Eve. And flying to Reno on New Year's Eve is pretty weird because the plane is full of drunk people partying. But we're a wrestling team on a commercial flight. So we're all spaced out through the plane, taking whatever seats are available. And I'm next to this middle-aged woman who was super nice, and super drunk. She keeps trying to buy me drinks. And I'm wearing a plastic suit with hoodies and a wool cap on. And I'm just sitting there sweating. She's like, let me buy you a vodka and tonic. And I'm like, oh, no, thank you, though. I, I can't eat or drink anything. I'm cutting weight. She's like, what? Are you serious? I'm going to buy you a vodka and tonic. So she bought us each one. And then she drank hers. And then she drank mine. A little while later, she's like, let me buy you a drink. I was like, oh, no, thanks, ma'am. Uh, I'm cutting weight. I can't eat or drink anything. She's like, I'll just buy you a vodka and tonic. I'm like, all right, thanks. So she buys herself a vodka and tonic, buys me a vodka and tonic. And then she drinks hers. And then she drinks mine. And that was how the plane, tried, tra plane trip went. So... Get to Reno, go to the Silver Legacy, kind of walk out in the New Year's Eve crowd. Then we go back inside, and there's a workout area and a sauna. We take all the chains off the bikes and just go to work. And that's what we do New Year's Eve, and then we get up New Year's Day, cut weight all day. Tournament of Champions is January 2nd. So 
I make weight, and then eight of the top teams in the nation all wrestle each other in round robins, and that's the tournament of champions, but neither the 18-pounder or the 26-pounder get hurt, and I wrestle zero matches. I'm the freshman. I'm just one of the freshmen on the bench, watching, supporting, warming up every time, not wrestling, warming up again, not wrestling. I see some of the best wrestlers in the country. Tournament was okay. Problem was, it started to rain during the tournament. And not just like a little bit of rain, but heavy, heavy winter desert rain, a big storm coming over the desert. And it flooded. It was actually the great Reno flood of the last 50 years. And Reno sits out on a high desert pan and the airport's in the flats, and the airport flooded, and no flights could come in or out for a week. So we were stuck in Reno, and we're getting per diem money, $20 a day, which means we just keep going back to the buffet so we can eat. And our team kind of falls apart. Some of us are working out. Some of us are just drunk all the time. Some of us are in the casino. I played roulette for a while, just betting red and black, red and black, red and black. That was all right. One of my teammates got up $1,800 and lost it all. The women in the casinos are walking around bringing us free drinks, free drinks, free drinks. Days start to meld together. Reno's like Las Vegas, but sadder. Six days in... I'm with two of my teammates. We're drinking in a bar on the margins of downtown. It's a sad bar. A bar where they knew we wouldn't get carded. We knew we wouldn't get carded. Six days in, we're drinking in this bar. I'm 19 years old. Sitting next to my teammate who's just drunk. On the other side of me is this guy who's not from Reno. And he's like, yeah, I don't know how to go back to my wife. I was like, what? He's like, I don't know how to go tell my wife and kids. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. He's like, I sold our house and I sent him up ahead, but then I brought the house money to Reno. And I was like, oh, did you bet some of it? He's like, I bet it all. And I lost it all. And I was like, You lost all of your family's money betting in Reno on the way? He's like, yeah, sent them on to Washington, but now I got to go meet them, and I don't have any of the house money. It's all gone. And I realized, sitting next to a man who's about to kill himself, and I turned to my teammate, and I was like, I got to get out of here. He's like, out of this bar? I was like, no, I got to get out of Reno. He's like, yeah, okay. So I walked out of the bar, and I just started running. And I ran out of the edge of downtown, and then out of the suburbs, and then I kept running, and I ran past the RV parks, and I got out into the desert. And I was just in random clothes and random shoes, and I was standing out in the desert, and it was still raining. 
had some really cool moments of success in my life, but I've had a lot of moments of struggle. A lot of times where I try something and it doesn't work out. Where I make the big attempt and I'm not successful. So I relate to underdogs, to people who struggle. To people who come through and have those moments of success and then maybe struggle again. So my favorite NBA player is Dame Lillard. I love Dame Lillard. He wasn't a big-time recruit coming out of high school. He tried out for the main AAU team, the one that future NBA stars play on, and he didn't make it. He was five foot five as a freshman in high school. Not a good height for a future NBA player. But by his senior year, he was scoring a lot of points, and he got just a few college offers. He went to Weber State, a university in Utah, a small university that most NBA fans have never heard of. But he just was the first in the gym every day and the last one to leave. And he just worked and worked and worked. And he surprised people with the athleticism that he developed, shot-making ability, the passing ability. And he got scouted his senior year and drafted. But he wasn't the number one draft pick. That was Anthony Davis. And when people projected forward, they were like, Anthony Davis is going to be rookie of the year. Anthony Davis of Kentucky, a blue blood. Anthony Davis is going to be a future Hall of Famer. But Anthony Davis wasn't the rookie of the year. That went to Dame. He was rookie of the month every single month his rookie year. And then, in Dame's first playoffs, he's faced off against James Harden and the Rockets, another future Hall of Famer. And in game six, with .9 seconds on the clock, Dame gets the ball above the three-point line and hits the game-ending three-pointer. He'll go on to do these things over and over in his career. Six-time All-Star, six-time All-NBA NBA skills champion. But this summer, when Dame was playing for the Olympic team, and they were trying to win gold, he was struggling. He was a starter, and they did win gold, and he helped them win gold, but he was struggling and getting criticism. Turned out he was hurt. He was playing hurt. And because he played for the Olympic team, he didn't get to rehab the injury, or have surgery, and then rehab. So he started the NBA season this year hurt. And he's having the worst year of his career. Lowest shooting percentage. He's missing wide open three-pointers. He's injured. He's injured in his abdominal wall. He can't stand up fully straight. He can't extend and you can see it. He's in pain as he jogs up the court. But he was still playing hurt. Averaging 24 points a game against NBA defenders getting double-teamed and trapped, still scoring, but it doesn't matter. He's having his worst year of his career, and everybody's like, oh, Dame's over the hill, Dame's old. You read online, people are like, Dame sucks now. NBA writers saying that Dame isn't any good anymore, even though he's playing hurt. But Dame didn't make excuses. He was open. He talked about his struggles. 
So I'm going to read one of his quotes. Because to me, he's inspiring because of this kind of attitude. So here goes. I always look at struggles as an opportunity to show my true character, Lillard said. When things go great, there's a lot of praise that goes along with that. A lot of people give you a lot of credit. They speak highly of you on social media, TV. Oh, Dame at 60, Dame at 50. They speak really highly of you. But I think it says more when you're going through something and it's kind of hitting the fan and you're struggling and everybody's got something to say. And to me, the real ones, they can keep on trucking and keep on going, still find a way to get the job done. And me personally, I love when those opportunities present themselves because when I'm riding high, when I do get smoking hot, when I get going, people are going to look at it and be like, we remember when you were struggling. You didn't shy away from it. I think it will be more respect for the success when they see how you handle failure, how you handle struggle. So personally, I embrace that. It's not fun. It's not easy. But it's part of my DNA. It's how I got to this position. I'm not angry about it. I'm frustrated with it. I do see it as a challenge. And it's one I accept. And I know I'll come out on top. Like I always do. When people ask me what my spirit animal is, I usually say raccoon. An animal that eats found food, and if it's kind of old or hard, he'll just dip it in water and go to work. But lately I've been thinking maybe my spirit animal is the writer Brendan Leonard. If you don't know Brendan Leonard, you should. You should read his stuff. He has a website, semirad.com. And his website's awesome because he's almost awesome. He's semi-rad. Because Brendan is a person who's almost good at things. And everyone can relate to that. Also, he's inspiring, has a great sense of humor, has struggled, failed, lived out of his car, and now built a little inspiring empire on Semirad.com. And if you haven't been there, you should at least go there for the drawings. Because he's an artist and a writer too. But because it's January, I'm going to read one of my favorite essays that he's ever written. And it's called Make This Year the Year of Maximum Enthusiasm. So here's for you from Brendan Leonard's Funny Shit in the Woods. One Saturday morning a few Octobers ago, my friend Greg and I were running down the North Kaibab Trail in the Grand Canyon, close to halfway through 26 miles of trail. We'd run four miles and would run about four more to Phantom Ranch where we could double fist coffee and lemmy lemonade at the cantina before climbing 4,400 vertical feet back up the south rim to finish a hike slash run rim to rim. I turned around mid-stride and said, hey, Greg. Yeah, he said, we're running in the Grand Canyon. Sometimes I get to do awesome things and I kind of forget how awesome they are. Do you? I get stressed, caught up in other stuff, and I forget how fortunate I am, how incredible life has turned out to be most days, and some of the special places I've gotten to see. 
Most of the time, though, I try to keep a pretty good handle on it. Try to remember to turn around and yell to my friends that, yes, we are running across the most famous hole on earth, and that's pretty special. Or even reminding someone a few months later about something special. Kurt Vonnegut, in a 2003 speech to students at the University of Wisconsin, said, I urge you to please notice when you are happy and exclaim or murmur or think at some point, if this isn't nice, I don't know what is. This year, I urge you to notice when something is awesome, as it often is, and exclaim or murmur or just make a mental note of it. Isn't it just goddamn fantastic that you have your health, for example, or running water, or electricity, or that you have enough money to actually pay someone else to make you a cup of coffee? Or if you want ice cream, you are at any time in America, probably only five or ten minutes away from a place that sells some form of it. Trust me on that one. Your life, even the bad parts, is fucking amazing. And most of the small things that make up your life are amazing too. Mountain bike rides, rock climbs, ski runs, sunsets, stars, friends, people, girlfriends and boyfriends, dogs, songs, movies, jokes, smiles. Hell, even that burrito you ate for lunch today was pretty phenomenal, wasn't it? What was your enthusiasm for these things last year? I recommend you step it up next year. People can disagree with things like quality. Maybe you're tasting food or whether or not a movie is good. But no one can argue with enthusiasm, especially when it is over the top. Do you think that climb you just did is the greatest climb ever? Great. If someone tries to tell you it isn't, who cares? Greatest rock climb ever is not an objective title. Thusly, when you are excited about a climb or a trail run or a summit view or a bike ride or a sunrise... Don't let anyone bring you down. A conversation where someone puts down your favorite ski area slash mountain slash rock climb slash trail slash burrito is not a conversation about ski areas slash mountains slash rock climb slash trails slash burritos. It is a conversation about that person being a pompous asshole. So go forth and be positive this year. Enthusiasm doesn't have to stand up to criticism. It doesn't even have to really make sense. If you finish a ski run, mountain bike trail, or sport climbing route, and you love it, I encourage you to try out new superlatives when describing it to someone else. This goes for everything you're excited about. Examples. I'm just going to tell you now that outer space is the most incredible rock climb you will ever do. You cannot not smile while climbing it. It's like the Beatles. Even if you, for some ridiculous reason, don't enjoy it, you can't deny its inherent goodness. Or, have you ever heard the new Macklemore song? It will knock you on your ass. Or, the eggplant parmesan sub at Pasquini's is probably my favorite sandwich in the entire city of Denver, if not the state of Colorado. In fact, now that I said that, I think we should go to Pasquini's immediately. Maybe some of the stuff you love that you're passionate about isn't cool. Hey, this is the 21st century. Everything is cool. Irony is either everything or dead. Be honest. When you see someone wearing a Motley Crue t-shirt, you don't know if they're serious. Or wearing it to be ironic. Do you? Do you like Motley Crue? Then rock that shit. And spread happiness. 
Remember, it is not illegal to high-five anyone either. Do you use exclamation points in the salutation of your emails? Well, why not? Do you like to laugh? Most people do, don't they? Including baristas, waitstaff, and retail personnel. Perhaps you have at some point had a real conversation with one of these people. This can sometimes begin by sincerely asking those people how they are, instead of treating them like a machine that makes you coffee or orders your salad. This opens the door to making them laugh. If you play your cards right, you may be able to high-five them at the end of a conversation. Remember yesterday when you saw that one thing that reminded you of that one friend of yours and you thought about how if you sent that friend a photo of the thing that reminded you of them that they would then smile? But then you didn't send your friend that photo and it wasn't awesome? Don't do that again. Here's what you do. One, take the photo. Two, send it to your friend. Three, your friend smiles. The world is a better place. Thanks. You may have already made some New Year's resolutions to lose weight, to eat better, to read two books every month, whatever. How about making one more to be just a little more awesome? This episode is dedicated to our puppy dragon, who's the sweetest animal I've ever been around. He also answers to Goose. He also speaks Spanish, and he got us through this COVID time, or the amount of COVID time that we've gone through so far. The last year would have been horrible without him. So along with the goal of making this year the year of maximum enthusiasm in my life, shout out to Brendan Leonard, I'm also trying to be the person that my puppy thinks I am. So Goose, here's to you. And to everybody else listening, thank you so much for listening to the Boring is a Swear Word podcast. Please give it a five-star rating or a review or tell a friend about it if you like this episode. But either way, I appreciate you listening. And my-